Hey everybody, welcome to the New Market Alliance Church podcast, where you're invited to not just attend church or watch church, or in this case, listen to church, but actually go and be the church. For everything you need to know about our community, be sure to go to newmarketalliance.ca and maybe even drop us a line to let us know you're listening. We read everything you send and we'll be sure to get back to you. Our worship service happens every Sunday at 10 a.m. in person or streaming online. We want you to know you absolutely matter to God and you absolutely matter to us. Everyone is welcome and wanted. Now, let's join today's teaching. This week we're going to talk about something that's um, maybe heavy for a lot of people. Uh, oh, this week, Jonathan, we're going to talk about something. How about for the last three weeks? <laughs> Be quiet, voice in my head. Um, this is maybe uh, a little applicable. Uh, some of you are feeling shame for your favorite hockey team uh, after yesterday. Oh, hey! <laughs> Um, you can talk to uh, Caleb after the service about that and uh, shun him appropriately. No. Uh, these, are the, these are the things that we often carry that we've never told anybody or maybe we've only told one person, uh, things that we're deeply ashamed of. And so maybe even now just lean over to the person beside you and tell them your worst unconfessed sin. Okay, go. No, I'm just kidding. Don't do that. Don't do that. What do we tend to do when we're ashamed? We often hide. We isolate ourselves. We keep secrets. Um, So let's do this. Let's look at the very beginning of shame. It can be found in, in the first chapters of Genesis. Before there was sin, there was no shame. Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden, no sin. The Bible says the man and his wife were both naked, and they felt what? Say it out loud with me. They felt no shame. My version says whatsoever. But yeah, you get the idea. Imagine for a moment what it would be like to have no secrets, no skeletons, no guilt, nothing that we're afraid of somebody else finding out. Uh, The freedom of no shame. There's a word for that. It's called paradise, and that's what our first parents experienced. And then this evil one, Lucifer, in the form of a serpent, came to destroy that innocence and that intimacy that they had with God. And he manipulated them, and he said, hey, yeah, go ahead and eat of that fruit that God said not to. And they did, and they sinned, and sin entered the world. And here's what verse 7 and 8 says. After they sinned, then the eyes of both of them were opened, And they realized now they were naked, so they sewed fig leaves together and they made covering for themselves. All of a sudden they felt uh, insecure and they covered up. And it says, then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of day. And instead of, of running up to him and instead of embracing him and saying, Lord, it's so good to for you to drop in again. And how do you like our new fig leaves? And what did they do? The Bible says they hid. They hid because of their shame. That's what they did. It's interesting how shame always causes us to run and hide in one way or another, to isolate. 
Some people literally run, like maybe they flee their friends or their family or their job. Most often they isolate, they go inward, they medicate somehow. I'm not a psychologist, I'm not a therapist. I wonder how many addictions can trace back to shame. And it doesn't even have to be big things. In our own, you know, warped mind, something that seems small could cause us real grief and shame. It's interesting the things that stay with you from childhood, isn't it? Like things that kind of make you cringe and blush in, in, in retrospect. I remember in middle school in Hamilton, we, we collectively went through this phase, grade six and seveners, um, something that if it happened today in school in 2022, we'd all be suspended and maybe even some type of like assault charges laid on us. But everybody, it seems, were wearing elastic waistbands of some kind in 1987. Parachute pants and joggers and track pants and spandex and stirrup pants and stretchy pants. And, and we got into this phase of pantsing each other. You know what I'm talking about? You, you sneak up behind somebody and whoosh, right? And horrible. Horrible thing to do. Even 12-year-olds today know that's it's a line you don't cross. And I'm not sure where the teachers were in all of this. Uh, probably in their fully smoking staff room. Um, it's the you know it's the 80s. And now think of think about what you know about the insecurity and the body consciousness of a 12 or 13-year-old and how traumatizing that could be, you know, to get caught with your pants down, quite literally. Is that where that saying came from? Maybe even worse, uh, I was in the line of fire of girls doing it to girls, and I got an eyeful and immediately covered my eyes like a solar eclipse, and I felt like such embarrassment on her behalf. If you could imagine a whole junior high walking around like that all year. It's probably why the backpack was invented, because we were kept holding our pants up the whole time. Um, look, on a scale of shameful, traumatic things that could have happened in your childhood, maybe that ranks low. There are other more personal things I could share. Uh, my point is the, the brain, the memories, the psyche, the soul, are nuanced and complicated things, and sometimes we aren't even consciously aware of the source of our shame. But it still rears its ugly head in subtle and not-so-subtle ways, doesn't it? I, I feel shame sometimes if I feel I haven't done enough for the church, or if I'm creating future neurosis in my own kids. Um, when I've missed too many days in a row of, of prayer or Bible reading, and, and sometimes being raised in a Christian home even can inadvertently produce sort of spiritual guilt, baggage attached to it, which is so 
unfortunate, ironic, because it's actually what Jesus came to set us free from. So question, what are you ashamed of today? It it may not be that big a deal to someone else, but to you it's a very big deal. Maybe you're ashamed of uh, the debt that you've accumulated over the years and you don't feel good about yourself, about how your finances go. And so you even medicate by going out and buying something nice. And it's all a temporary fix until you get the bill with 19% interest attached and then you feel even worse. Maybe you're ashamed of the fact that you've been caught in lies or ashamed of the time you cheated or ashamed of the way you look. Uh, you can't believe what has happened to your body over the years and you, you have allowed it uh, and you look at yourself and you say, oh, how could anyone be attracted to the way that I look. I'm going to get uncomfortably real here, folks. I'm going to hit some nerves, not least of which are my own. And maybe you years ago had an abortion. Maybe you had an affair, uh, a relationship that you'd give anything to change, and you just can't shake this bad feeling about yourself. Here's, here's one that really kind of breaks my heart. I'm sure there are those here who have been the victim of somebody else's abuse. You were the innocent one, and yet tragically, you're the one riddled with shame. It's not your fault. You know this intellectually, but emotionally, you just, you just carry this guilt. You feel dirty. Maybe your greatest dream was to have an awesome marriage and you ended up divorced and you feel like for the rest of your life, you're carrying around some scarlet D on your forehead and, you, and, and you're ashamed of that. It could be that you're addicted to something. I don't know. I don't know what it is for you. Something that you're ashamed of. Maybe you're a super fan of Kid Rock and Maroon 5, and you're, that actually may be an appropriate thing to be ashamed of. Uh, So what is it for you that brings up feelings of shame? Uh, For some of you this morning, I I think it is the strongest unhealthy driver in your life, shame. And it's fueled by these deep feelings of inadequacy. There's this Texas author and speaker that I really like. She's not, a, she's not a Christian author. She's an author who happens to be a Christian. Her name is Brene Brown. Have you, have you heard of her? Um, she says something really powerful. She defines shame as the intensely painful feeling or experience of believing that we are flawed and therefore unworthy of love and belonging. There are psychological aspects of this that I'm, I'm not qualified to speak to. There are most certainly spiritual aspects of this. Um, and here's what happens from our spiritual enemy, the one God calls the accuser of the saints. When, when he gets involved, you need to know that Satan wants to connect what happened with who you are. See right there, that's the difference between guilt and shame. Guilt says, well, I, I did something bad and I feel guilty about it. Shame says, I am bad, right? Guilt says there was something I did 
that I'm not proud of. And shame says, I am a horrible person because of what I did. It is connecting something on the outside with who you are as a person. And our enemy loves it when you internalize it that way. It's like, I've been rejected, so therefore I am unlovable. I failed at a business venture or I failed at a marriage and therefore I am a failure. You, You own that as part of your identity. Or after what I did, how could, how could God ever love me? And, and I got to think this is Satan's ultimate goal, that, that you would become a prisoner tormented by your past. I'll never get over this. My, my life will never be the way it could have been or should have been. I'll never have a good marriage. I can never recover from this. No matter what I do, I'm always marked. I'm I'm bad. I'll never experience the full favor and the, and the blessing of God. Listen, folks, Satan, your accuser, wants to take you out to destroy your relationship with God and with people and have you hate yourself. Can you see how high the stakes are in this? Scripture says it this way in 2 Corinthians 10, verses 3 to 4. It says, for though we live in the world... We do not wage war as the world does. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have power to demolish strongholds. And, and this is an interesting word in the Greek. It's okoroma, okoroma. It means to fortify. It means a, a prisoner who is locked by, by deception or, or wrong belief. And so what do we do? Verse five says, we demolish these arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. We take captive every thought and we make it obedient to Christ. We reject the lies of the devil. The the evil one wants you to believe you are what you did or you are what someone did to you or You are what you are and you'll never change. And the truth is you are not what you did. You are not what someone did to you. You are who God says you are. And often without even knowing it, we can take something that we did or even something that happened to us and wrongly connect it to our identity and start living with this shame-based thinking. And I'll show you three different ways that this, this could influence your lives. And, and you may even see yourself in this. Uh, the first thing, number one, is whenever we live with shame-based thinking, we're vulnerable to perfectionism, right? How many of you would say that you, you, that might be you, that you might be vulnerable to perfectionism? Don't elbow the person beside you. That's not for you to say. What we often do is try to silence our shame with a perfect performance, right? Like, look how good I did. And we find it really difficult to admit any type of of failure. We, We look to cover our shame with some perfect performance. Second thing that can affect us and when we live that way is we're, we're often critical of ourselves, which drives us to become 
critical of others, right? It's really tragic. Oftentimes, the most critical people are those dealing with the most shame because shamed people tend to shame others. And what ends up happening is we we hate in others the very sin, the very foibles that we hate in ourselves. We're, We're critical of ourselves, so we become critical of others. You should see pastors at a conference, whew, standing back, watching another preacher preach. I don't know if I would have done it that way. Um, Number three, the third way it impacts us is this. We use self-defeating thoughts to shield ourselves from disappointment, right? So we'll think worst case scenario, right? And so if we just tell ourselves this is going to be really, really bad, then we lower our expectations and we say we won't be disappointed, but at the same time, we're, we're sabotaging our opportunities and our relationships because of shame. And we tell ourselves, well, you know, they're only going to reject me. And so we don't risk the relationship. Or um, I'm only going to fail because bad things always seem to happen to me. And so we don't try anything new. Or uh, look, we're all going to die and I'm probably going to die quickly anyway. And so we sabotage anything that God wants to do to bless us. And because of our, our spiritual enemy at work, um, it might cause one parent to lash out for no apparent reason. Uh, another one to get drunk and disengage because they feel ashamed. Shame might be what drives your in-laws to criticize your parenting because they feel insecurity or or their own weaknesses, their own shame from their parenting. Shame-based thinking, and you know, it is not from God. It just isn't. And you think, but I'm a guy that battles with looking at the wrong thing and a person who cheats and a, a person who steals and therefore I'm bad. God can never use me. God can never love me. And I'm just going to keep on preaching this until some of y'all believe it. Your past is covered by the grace of Jesus. Your sins are forgiven and he has made you new. It is no longer Jonathan that liveth, but Christ that liveth in me. The bad news, I suppose, is I, is I still battle with shame-based thinking. And it may, be, it may be worth it to put on your detective hat and try and uncover that root cause, or even ask Jesus, Jesus, reveal to me, give me a picture um, of the words that were spoken over me, that were like curses said to me. Uh, Jesus, show me the event that shamed me in this unconscious way that's been hidden in the back of my mind. Show me where you were in the midst of that, even Jesus. And that's a prayer he would love to answer. I know it. Until then, you might, um, you might work so hard in the unhealthiest way to prove your worth. Whatever, whatever it is for you, making good grades or excelling in sports or being a great pastor who tries to meet every single need. And because it, I can't, it can reinforce my shame. 
I'm not enough. I will never be enough. I'm an imposter. And here's the thing. There's actually just a kernel of truth in that, right? I will never be enough. Anytime you think something bad about yourself, I hate to tell you that there may be just a a nugget of truth in there. Like you might think you're bad and I say, well, technically you are, meaning that we have all sinned. We've all fallen short of the glory of God. I've sinned, you've sinned. You may say I'm inadequate. And again, I say, well, yeah, we all are. We, we, we weren't designed to do everything on our own, to meet every need of somebody else. And some of you may say, yeah, I'm, a, I'm occasionally rude. And I might say, occasionally? <laughs> You're often rude. Let's just call it what it is. No, if you find something in yourself that you don't like, There may be some truth in it, but here's the problem. As long as you're focused on you, you'll always be vulnerable to shame. You'll always be vulnerable to shame because you are never enough. There's this powerful story in the Old Testament about God's people. We sang about it. They were tragically um, kept in slavery for 430 years. Can you imagine 430 years, so you have generation after generation after generation of people born a slave. All they know is, I'm a slave. Uh, I am less than. My life is disposable. My life is worthless. 430 years, day after day, week after week, year after year, they believe the lie. You are not valuable. And then God raised up Moses, played by Charlton Heston, or voiced by Val Kilmer for you millennials. And he said, let my people go. And God miraculously delivered them from slavery. Now, here's the tragedy, though, um, is even though they were outwardly free, inwardly, they were still slaves. Uh, They were out of slavery, you could say, but slavery wasn't out of them. And some of you, you're followers of Jesus. You love Jesus. You've been forgiven. You've been freed. But just because your sin is forgiven, some of you are still slaves to the shame um, of something that is actually not true about you. And and that's why the only way to heal from shame is to move the focus from what I'm not to who Christ is. It's to take the focus off me and to fix my eyes on Jesus. And because some of you, maybe some of you watching today, listening to the podcast, you've been forgiven by Christ. He doesn't hold your sins against you. In fact, he remembers them no more. But you're still living with, you're consumed with, driven by this shame-based thinking. You're, you're still believing that you're something that God says you're not. Now, as I start to land the plane here, let me just point you to a verse that you may not be expecting. It's found in Hebrews 12. And it speaks of Jesus on the cross preparing to give his life. And scripture says this, for the joy set before him, 
Jesus endured the cross. He, en- he endured the cross because of how it would save your life. He, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross. And then here's the three little words. Scorning its shame, despising it, loathing it, hating it. And he sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. This is so powerful. Jesus endured the cross. He hated, he despised, he scorned the shame. Every fiber of his righteousness, every part of heaven loathed and despised the shame that robs people of of joy and intimacy with God. You know, going back to the beginning of time, God scorned the shame in the Garden of Eden. Uh, He hated the shame of David's adultery and Peter's denial. And in the very same way, God scorns the shame that crushes your soul, that kills your joy. He despises the shame that you feel from your lies, from your secret eating habits, from your hidden sexual sins. He loathes the shame you feel from financial failure, from your deepest secrets that are actually your darkest hurts. And he scorns the shame of how you feel when you look at the wrong thing or think the wrong thought or say the wrong thing. He, he hates the shame that you endure because of what you did, what you didn't do, what happened to you. He despises the shame of your self-doubt and self-hatred. He scorns the, the shame of, of what you felt like back then and how, how you don't like yourself now. And for me, he scorns the shame I feel when I can't fix the problem or when I believe I'm not enough. And the Son of God stripped down naked on an instrument of torture called the cross as his creation, those who he came to love ended up mocking him and cursing him and spitting on him. Jesus looked at the shame and he said, I despise you. You're nothing to me. My father sent me to seek and save the lost. My God sent me to give my life as a ransom for many. And that's why shame, you have no power compared to the joy set before me. You are nothing. You can't discourage me. You can't defeat me. And you are almost finished. And Jesus looked up to heaven. He says, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And then he breathed his last. And the earth shook and it went dark. And day one, people waited. Day two, they lost hope. Day three, they said, I guess he wasn't who he said he was. But then a couple of ladies went to check on the grave and the stone was rolled away and the tomb was empty and Jesus wasn't there. And because of his death and his resurrection, we can be made new, we can be forgiven and we can be healed of shame. And so we move the focus from who you are to who Christ is and what he did. And are you ready? Are you ready to do that? I'm not enough. I get that. I'll never be enough. But Christ in me is more than enough. 
because of who he is and because of what he's done. You remember those Israelites, 430 years of shame? They were out of slavery, but the shame of slavery wasn't out of them. And then in Joshua 5 verse 9, scripture says this, the Lord says to Joshua today, somebody say today, today I have rolled away the shame of your slavery in Egypt. There is no more shame because of the resurrection of Jesus. No more shame. Somebody may have told you in your past, shame on you. Well, guess what? This morning I'm saying shame off you. In Jesus' name, God says, shame off you today. There is no more shame. He's rolling away the shame. And for me, I can't fix everything, but I can preach Christ crucified, risen from the dead, and I came to tell somebody today, because of who Jesus is, because of what he's done, you are worthy of love. The cross was for you. The empty tomb was for you. Jesus looked through all of time and he saw you today, knowing that if he endured the shame for the joy set before him, you could be set free. And that gave him joy for your freedom, for your salvation, for your forgiveness, for your wholeness, for your reconciliation. He endured the shame of the cross scorning it so he could tell you, you're not what you did. You're not what you do. You're not what someone did to you. And you're not what others say you are. You are who I say you are. And I'm the son of God. Amen. Amen. And Jesus is saying, I declare to you today that if you are in me, you are free indeed. You are forgiven. You are changed. You are healed. You are chosen. You are blessed. You are complete. You are accepted. No more shame. No more shame. Shame off you. Shame off you. So Father, we give you glory for a love that we could never earn and never deserve for the death of Jesus, for his resurrection that heals us, that sets us free. And today, by faith, that rolls away the shame. Thank you, Jesus. To those here today, those of you watching online, um, those of you who might say, Jonathan, I'm a bit like you. I see the shame-based thinking weighing me down, holding me back, stealing my joy, and I... I want God to roll it away. I want God to heal me. Just with your eyes closed, if, if that's you today, would you just raise a hand? Say, yeah, shame off me today. Amen, amen. You can type it in the chat even if you're watching online. God, heal me from my shame. Today as you're praying, is there something that happened to you? Think prayerfully about this. Something that happened to you or maybe something you did, maybe something you have internalized about who you are. You say, I did this. I am bad. This happened to me, so I am no good. I, I feel dirty. I failed at something, so I feel that I am a failure. You've, you've internalized an external action and the enemy of your soul, your accuser, wants you to stay a slave to shame. And so, Lord, I pray by your spirit that you would heal us of that lie. By, by the power of the spirit in us, we're going to grab hold of that stronghold.
We're going to capture that lie. We're going to make it obedient to Christ. What we did is not our identity. Our identity is found in what you say, O Lord. God, we thank you that if today is the beginning of the process, or even if in your sovereignty you choose to just heal someone instantly, I pray at this moment that you would heal us of shame, O Lord. Set us free. In the same way that our spiritual enemy comes to steal and kill and destroy God, we thank you that you came to bring life and bring it more abundantly. Because of Jesus, we are not lost. Because of Jesus, we are found. We don't have to stay broken because of you, Lord. We are whole. God, we don't have to be ashamed. Because of Jesus, we are confident, secure in his love, able to share your love because you have loved us. God, heal us from our shame, I pray. Shame off you. Shame off you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. One of the reasons we celebrate communion is because of the freedom that he has bought us with his blood, with his body. And so today, I'm going to ask our our communion hosts to go to their stations. There are four stations around uh, the four corners of the church. And uh, there's even a gluten-free bread up here. Um, Would you just allow, even as we sing and as you come up to one of these stations, to just allow our communion hosts to just bless you with a a shame-off-you blessing, okay? You're a loved people. We're going to be led in worship now.